This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 492, and the quote of the day is from one of my favorite groups, The Roots. I'll tell you one lesson I learned. If you want to be something in life, you ain't going to get it unless you give a little bit of sacrifice. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening, boys and girls? Nick Ruffini here, episode 492 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and we are getting close to the 500th episode. And I mentioned before, we're doing a huge giveaway for the 500th episode. So there's gifts or giveaways from Promark and Evans and Big Fat Snare Drum and Dream Symbols and LP and DW and all sorts of stuff. And I haven't announced it quite yet about how you can register and all that stuff, but I will be doing it soon. So make sure you're following Drummer's Resource on Instagram at Drummer's Resource or just sign up for the mailing list. You can go to drummersresource.com and there will be a prompt that shows up for you to sign up for the mailing list. And if you're already on the mailing list, I'll be sending out an email about it. So I uh, just want to keep you hip to that. Make sure that you are following or signed up or whatever. There's a lot of stuff that we're giving away. I'm not just talking about like t-shirts and stickers. We're talking about some serious gear that we're giving away for the 500th episode. And with that said, let's get into this great conversation. This is with Walfredo Reyes Jr. And I've had I've wanted to have him on for a long time and just as things go, just haven't didn't never reached out to him or anything, and but when I did, he was very gracious to say yes. And you, for those of you who don't know who Walfredo Reyes is, he is, in my opinion, one of the best hand percussionists in the world, but also one of the best drummers in the world as well. And his resume definitely shows that the man has played with Tanya Marie, Jackson Brown, Jimmy Barnes, Santana, Boz Skaggs, Gloria Stefan, Traffic. Robbie Robertson, Steve Winwood, Mickey Hart, El Chicano, and his current gig is with the band Chicago. And he's been with Chicago since 2012. He was originally just a hand percussionist, or not just a hand percussionist, but he was the the hand percussionist in Chicago and then has now moved over to drum set. And the conversation that we have is amazing because he tells the the truth, the inside and out about life on the road, about being a hired gun musician, about sacrificing to make your dreams come true. And the man has, has been doing this for such a long time. So he's pulling from a depth of knowledge and he's sharing it with everyone. So tons of info in here. And I hope you get out of it as much as I got out of it. So without further ado, let's get into it with my man. Alfredo Reyes Jr. Alfredo Reyes, how are you? Everything great. I can't complain. Good. So you're, uh, it's interesting, you were saying off air, so you're in Cincinnati, you live in Cincinnati now? Since November of last year, I, um, I started visiting my girlfriend. We had a long distance relationship and when I, I moved from LA to Las Vegas, bought a house and started coming here and there's so much music so many studios it's a really interesting city you got northern kentucky there's a couple of friends of mine have a recording studio in a church and the jazz clubs it's a lot of great jazz and uh king records used to be mm-hmm. here and so there's a lot of history here so i started really digging it and so i decided hey i'm moving interesting that's a far departure from from 
LA. I mean, I live in LA now. I'm from the East Coast, so I would, I don't want to say frequently, but I went to, you know, I was in Ohio uh, fairly regularly. And, uh, but that's a totally different vibe than Vegas, LA. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting, though. I didn't realize there was such a music scene there. Yeah. And for for me, of course, you know, with Chicago, I, I travel on and off like about seven to eight months month out of the year. Mm-hmm. So wherever I am, I'm not there that much. Right. So, um, so, you know, when I moved to Las Vegas, you know, it was about the house and four hours from LA. But, you know, to tell the truth, Chicago travels so much that I find myself in LA and Vegas. We did Vegas mm-hmm. for a month residency at the beginning of this year. So I do, it's almost like I'm everywhere, really. That's the, the most correct phrase. Yeah. So I'm I guess, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter, but for you, it's, you know, if you're going to come home, you might as well come home to, you might as well come home to your girlfriend instead of like, when you're on the road, you're in a long distance relationship. You don't want to get home and still be in a long, long distance relationship, right? Exactly. So that's what was happening. But I'll tell you something that has happened that I was not expecting it. And it was freaking me out a little bit. Because when, when I, you spend, I, I sacrifice a lot to, you know, grew up, I'm going now back in the 70s, grew up in Las Vegas and started working. Mm-hmm. And L.A. was always like the mecca of music. Right. It was New York, Nashville or L.A. So I picked L.A. It was closer to Las Vegas. And, you know, you pay I pay dues there like 80, 81, 82, playing the clubs, top 40, doing this, everything. Weddings, playing with great artists. And I was on the road with Ben Vereen and Marilyn McCool. And all of a sudden, 84, started doing the jazz festival with Tanya Maria and, and on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden you start building your career. When I didn't do a tour, I depended in, uh, in gigs in L.A. Mm-hmm. to make a living. Uh, recordings, live gigs, playing with other people, lessons. So when I, when I actually decided to move to Cincinnati, I kind of started scoping it out first. And there's the University of Cincinnati. There's like musicians here that have music schools. There's a lot of music, some clubs. And some guys that have a, a studios. And now, uh, little by little, I started finding myself busy to the point where to spend time with my girlfriend in Cincinnati. <laughs> I've had to basically kind of like sneak in into Cincinnati and say, like, I'm not here. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I could be really busy in Cincinnati off Chicago, which is a blessing, I guess. For sure. And, Makes me feel good. I mean, right now I could I could have taught lessons today all the way till the time I have the other gig and another gig, and then I'm gone with Chicago. I'm going. Wait a minute! I didn't have any time off. So right. it, it it teaches me at an older age that you have to put uh, music is great, and when you're busy, it's great. But sometimes, even if you're too busy, you gotta say, wait a minute, no, this is time for your loved ones and time for to visit and spend quality time with the people you love for sure for sure what's the you know i always i always say like what's the point of what's the point of all the hard work and you know money and all that stuff if you can't if you can't enjoy it with anyone and you can't spend time because at the end of the day i don't think anyone's going to wish that they worked harder you know absolutely and you know what like uh actually we're talking about steve gab which is now in my front part of my brain or, uh, or, as I, or as I like to call him, James Gad. 
that's what I thought of earlier. I was like, oh yeah, I had James Gad on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, he read something. He said something in an interview on a magazine that came out of Baltimore one time. They asked him if you were wanted to do everything over again, what would you do? He goes, I, I would try to find a better balance between my music work and my family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are all guilty. I mean, you talk to anybody from Chicago, they'll tell you that their first uh, kids from their first marriages, they, they never, they didn't spend time. My, uh, my, my kids is, is a time where there was no Skype, there was no Facebook, there was nothing. When right. I would go on the road for a, a month, I would not see them, period, for a mm -hmm. month. Not um. So it was tough time. So, you know, when you're, when you're home, sometimes you just got to have a 24-7. And that's what I used to do when I used to come back home from a tour with Santana, whatever. I used to get called for this, get called for that. And, of course, you always need the money. Right, I mean, right. You always need the money. But you know what? That quality time is really uh, precious, necessary. What, what do they say? You can, always, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. Absolutely. I agree with that. So that's something that I experience now as getting older in a, in a different light. And so is the other guys uh, from Chicago. Uh, that's the reason, actually, I'm here and I'm not on the road for six months. We do four weeks maximum, three that's weeks, good. and then we come home. Mm -hmm. And Antana, I remember, used to have something like that where we used to do a month in Europe and our managers would want it. Hey, we're there already. Let's just breeze all the way through Europe uh, for four months. And uh, no, the family said, no, four weeks and you come home. He goes, but it costs a lot of money. Right. You know, the equipment and the crew. What are we going to do with it? You fly them all back to see their families. Yeah. Yeah. Plus you have, you know, logistically you have all the gears over there, you know, whatever you're not renting in Europe and all that stuff. And it's like, well, okay, but do we just throw it in storage or ship it back and then ship it back over to Europe? And, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a difficult decision because uh, financially the management will go, of course, they're in the office <laughs> right. with their families. Right, you exactly. Know, the bookers, you know, they're actually, they, from the office, they go home. Yeah, I booked a fantastic tour for five months. <laughs> yeah. Five months, you know, my kids are going to grow. I'm not even going to, even the dog will bite you when you come home. <laughs> yeah. Who's this? You know, like, it's me, it's me. Who's me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, I was talking to Brian Fraser Moore, and he was on tour with, with Justin Timberlake and that tour was it was two years and then and then they extended it another like three or four months so it was like at the end of the at the end of the tour I think it was like 20 or 26 or 28 months that is That's a long time man I tell you that is really great uh two things pop into my mind if you still live at home and you're single and uh <laughs> And number two, uh, you got to use part of that money to bring your family on the road. Plane tickets, you know, investment to like right. either extra hotels. And that I've done that before. You know, when mm -hmm. I in 94, when I was with traffic, it was like, it was more than five months. It was like, you know, a year, you know. Right. But my, my son was born, my son Gabriel, which is 24, was born in 1994. And... Uh, yeah, you know that you bring the family, 
mm-hmm. the good nights are never easy. Right, right. Because it's a, it's a really, really uh, tearing thing. You know, you come home to see dad. I mean, you can't go on the road to see dad, and the first day is like unbelievable. You know, you have some time off. You see the show. The next day is a day off. You go and see the city, and you spend time at the beach, and and you uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's time to go. Uh, right. Daddy's gonna go another month on the road before mm-hmm. you see to see them again, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean that's why love songs are written. That's why love songs, heartache songs, and happy songs are. You know, I mean that's the, mm-hmm. we live it. The, all the emotions, you know. Yeah. What What do you say to people who may be younger? And, and the the reason why I'm asking this, I've never met anyone, including myself, who's toured for a long period of time where it wasn't difficult with significant others, family, friends, responsibilities, blah, blah, like, you know, there's a whole long laundry list of things that make it makes it difficult for you to, to be on the road. And depending on where you are in your career, you may be at the spot where you're, you still have a day job and you have to tour and you got to balance that with kids and all that kind of stuff. What advice do you have for anyone who is looking to tour? Maybe they're, they're coming up through the ranks now or they're, or even a little bit older and they have kids and, and all that kind of stuff. Is it, is it make sure you're making time for family or make sure that, that you make sure that this is exactly what you want to do? What advice do you have? Well, there's a lot of advice because there's so many different aspects. Um, if you're young, I always say this to everybody, even the Rolling Stone tour ends. Every tour and every recording and every gig ends. So it's not forever. You know, you get that, oh, my right. God, I'm going to go on tour. So you buy this and you buy that. And, hey, let's buy a house now. You know, like, big time. My house is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And we, we're going to make money. But, you know, when the tour ends. And when you go on tour, sometimes I, I've been a person that, and this will get into the drumming part of it, that has always fed my little gigs. I call it all the little gigs. I'm never, just because I'm with Chicago, I don't say no to a wedding if it pays good money and there's great people playing and I'm going to have a fun time and it's going to be different muscle memory from what I'm doing right now. I say yes to everything, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, because um, so, you know, when you're going to go on a tour like that, make sure you save your money and invest some money because when that ending happens and people still think for a long time that you're on tour, there's no work coming. Right. And as we all know, uh, unemployment barely pays the rent. So uh, unemployment is good for, uh, I call it, in and out burger money. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, so, you know, you got to, uh, you got to look as all this great, oh, my God, I'm going on tour, the announcement, hey, you know, I'm tour. Visualize the ending, the month that you're going to be off or the month that is no touring or that you might not get another gig. There's no guarantee that as soon as you finish the tour, you're going to be working with other people or mm-hmm. in with other people. That That's our life. That's the music business. Just today, somebody uh, found out I went to uh, FedEx and there was a beautiful lady there and, and I found out that I was a musician and she gave me her car because she's a singer. She goes, I really dislike working. I'm so tired of packing boxes at FedEx. You know, so and, and I said, well, look at it this way. You know, I'm I'm with a with a band. I didn't name the band Chicago. Right. Uh, two <clears> days you ago, didn't, you didn't name the band, or you did? No, I didn't name. So <laughs> she didn't know. 
with Chicago or anything. As you know, I was a musician. He goes, well, look at it this way. You're employee and every day you're working. Two days ago I was working. Today there's no money coming in. So this nobody pays me for this two weeks that I'm off. Right. So and and at the end of the tour, November, December, I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. So save your money, invest your money for the dark times. That's what my dad used to tell me this. You know, the party, oh my God. You know, it's just like, oh my God, the touring. Oh, while he's on tour, while he's on tour, what about when the tour ends? And you don't hear and then it's like, hey, what's up? So you have to that that's that's advice number one. Number advice number two, anybody, any musician that is on tour with a name band, remember that they're carrying you. You know, mm-hmm. I don't own Chicago. Chicago is fifty two years on the road. So right. this is a big, big train that was made out of a lot of tears, divorces, blood, sweat and tears, and a lot of band members, a lot of compositions. It's just I was I was an admirer and a fan of that, but I hop in their train now. Right. So while you're in somebody else's train, start constructing your train, your brand, your recording, your composition. So when the train stops and the big train stops, you got alive as an artist. Right. Yep. Start working on your life. It is, you know, I don't care if you're 16 years old, uh, 17 in high school. No, no, no. Now. Now mm-hmm. is the time. And especially you know. on, on the road, you have a lot of time to do that. There's a lot of downtime. And that's that's a magical thing. You know, one, one um, person actually was uh, Jason Sheff that was playing bass with Chicago at that time. He goes, it's not the two hours and a half that we're on stage uh, with Chicago. We actually don't sound check. So that's a, a blessing. Nice. I mean, we, we're not there at four o'clock sound checking. I mean, I miss playing drums and playing and messing around on the drums. I only get to play my drums when I sit on them on the show. And the next time I'll play them is tomorrow night on the downbeat of the show. So wow. because we arrived there right at six o'clock for an eight o'clock show. And so with that being and said, what, they, the crew just line checks, everything sound checks, everything for you. And yeah. And today they have like CDs of the show so they can actually tune in the speakers and they sound check, they tune everything. So basically, I arrive and it's like sign, sign autographs for the programs and whatever has to be signed for the theater. Uh, go to a meet and greet, grab a quickie bite at catering, and you know, before the yeah. show, I don't need that much. Yeah. And then get ready for the show, do the show, and then hop on the another meet and greet and hop on the bus and go to the next place. So you really are not playing drums. Uh, you know, you have a practice pad on your bedroom or whatever. But going back to the Jason Chef, he said, what are you going to do with your time from, say, like you're on the bus at 12 midnight to six o'clock the next day? Mm -hmm. What do you do with that time? It's up to you. A lot of people have written books. I can write songs. You can learn a, a software program. You can work on on something. Sometimes I even, I, I know I rent a, a place. I, I rent, I arrive in Hoboken one time and I rented a place so I can get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and, and use an alarm, not just wake up whenever your right. body tells you. Like, right. you know, you're, man, I got to do this. Wake up, go over there and practice and shed. And then you come uh, either do the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but you got to use your time wisely. 
How'd you like How'd you like Hoboken? I lived there for seven years. I love Hoboken. You know, Hoboken, when I left Cuba and came to New York for a, a year, I lived in Hoboken for a little while. Oh, really? And then, and then in Queens, and then we moved to Puerto Rico until I was 13. Then we moved to Las Vegas. Got but you. That's, uh, Hoboken now is not what it was in the 1960s. Oh, I know. I know. Do you remember where you where you lived in when you lived in Hoboken? No, but it was no, fun. Oh, I know that. Yeah, the whole city was was yeah. was pretty bad, even until like the the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, I remember that it was a lot of cats, uh, feral cats, in the back of the of the building. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting. So now I, I go over there. Uh, we we really love the area, and it's so close to the city. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I loved it there. I do. I definitely miss it. So yeah, <clears throat> we're talking about. Have, how much free time you have on the road because there's the opposite side of that, right? Like you can get into trouble if, you know, like what do they say? The, the, an idle mind is the, or idle hands is the devil's playground, right? So you can, you can do, you, like you said, you can write a book or you can learn some so- software programming or you can work on your fitness or you can do something exactly. or you can drink and do drugs and go to the bar and, you know, do spend all your that money stuff. and spend but, you your know, money. Yeah. Fitness. Fitness is important because, <clears throat> you know, when you are uh, in different time zones, uh, we were talking about this uh, the other day, it's not physically fit to sit on the drums and play the drums. It's mm-hmm. that a lot of the times you sit on the drums and you're already jet lagged or you're not feeling really strong or you're a little sick or run down because of the traveling and the time zones and now you got to get up and it's like, wait a minute. It's like, it, it, you don't feel really great. You have to be fit before you sit on the drums to play <laughs> for two, two, two hours. And, um, it, it really helps. I, I find lately, you know, with all the, the TV and, 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 um, social media, you can spend, um, easily a lot of hours watching TV and in social media. So sometimes I don't, I don't turn the TV on when I get mm-hmm. into the whole room and on purpose, I set up my computer yeah. so it can look at me going like, come and work on me, come and work on me. And, and I kid you not, sometimes I actually go like this and, and at four o'clock in the morning, I arrive in the hotel, don't, don't put the TV on and open up logic. So, so in the morning when I'm waking up, the first thing I see is this like blue light and logic going like, let's go time to work and whatever you can do to motivate yourself and force yourself to do something because you will be happy when, when it happens, you know, when you actually compose or create something Mm -hmm. and it's, uh, you know, people think that we're having a really like a party on the road. I'm not going to say uh, we're, we're blessed, you know, to, to be making a living playing drums. Come on. I mean, you know, some, some of my family members, uh, not the musician side, but they say like, have you ever had a real job? Because, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, the only, the only time that I work a job that it was not music was when I was 16, when I was busing tables for the summer to buy my first car. Right. But because I did that, that's when I went, wait a minute, I got to really crank up the music at a higher level. So that's why I quit all the sports and everything. And it was 24-7 music. So I, I wanted to get every audition from the college band, UNLV, 
I wanted to, to audition and get the parts, get the jobs, get everything, because I was not going to go back to bus tables. <laughs> so, so, so that, it was a blessing, you know, busing mm-hmm. tables. Basically, I thought I was playing some gigs, but it was not sufficient uh, making money to sure. buy a car. So I had worked for a whole summer, and that went like, okay, this is do or die. I got, I'm gonna, I make a decision. I'm not gonna be a musician working a job. I'm gonna be a musician working whatever in the music business. If if I have to do a, a road tech, uh, cleaning drums, uh, maintenance of drums, uh, working in the music uh, shop, uh, selling drums or teaching drums, uh, teaching percussion. Uh, uh, playing percussion for a dance school. Uh, I mean, you know, whatever, but I gotta be in the music business to be closer to whatever I want to do in the music business. Of course. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's a hundred percent. And there's always some sort of, <clears throat> some mystery around, you know, if you're, if you're going to get a job doing something that's quote unquote music related, but it's not actually playing drums or playing percussion then people don't understand like how, you know, how do I get a job at whoever DW drums or how do I get a job at, you know, Vic Firth or Promark or wherever. And I always tell people the same thing, the the same way you get a job at, at Acme or In-N-Out Burger or, or at any other company that you want to, they need the same kind of people. They need people who are accountants and, you know, managers and they need people to, to work in the showroom and they need people to work in the, in the factory and all that kind of stuff. So you just go and you got to apply just like you would do at any other company. Exactly. And, and, and and with all of this, whether you're performing music or going on tour with a band or whatever you're doing or working at, at the retail, whatever, good work ethics is the same thing. Be on time. Don't waste nobody's time. Uh, make good use of your time. It's about the teamwork of the place, the band, and the customer, the client, the people that pay the tickets or buy the drums or are taking the lessons from you. It Basically, the content, whether you're a performer or whatever, it, it's the same ethics of work. If you have mm-hmm. good work ethics, you'll work. And, and then that can transfer. There's a lot of guys uh, that I know, some of them that went from being a, a good tech or a substitute or whatever, but the, the work ethic is so important. Yeah. And, and I say that uh, the other day we were talking about it, I think with, uh, uh, I forgot who I, who I was talking about it, uh, that it's, uh, it's basically, oh, it was somebody that was not in the music business. So he was telling me what it takes to be, I think it was my friend Mike Pinto that actually manages a, a, a minor league baseball team, and he was telling me about what the what the players need to do, not playing baseball only, but the work ethic yeah. to have longevity and be successful. And I'm going, that's the same thing as a musician. You got to be able to hang. You got to be able to get along with others. The other 22 hours, yep, that you're, you're on the bus. Mm-hmm. or in the hotel room or on the road with somebody. And then you play for two and a half hours, probably the maximum. And then it's like, you got to hang again. Yeah. Yep. And it's like you know, a pre, I, pre-game, post-game, all, it's the same thing. Pre-gig, post-gig, 
You know, because those guys are all like everybody sees baseball players on the field, but those guys are living on buses and living, you know, in planes and hotel rooms and same way musicians are. You know, they're traveling as, as just as much as any other band on tour. Absolutely. So I, I was kind of going, wow, that's interesting. And, you know, I've seen, unfortunately, um, and you probably know a lot of players that are so crazy that eventually their life just goes downhill for many yep. reasons. And the same as musicians. I know a lot of musicians that are great on stage. The men, the minute they leave the stage, they're dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So nobody wants to work with them. The management doesn't want them. The, the leaders or the other band members admire them. But eventually, uh, they want to like, man, I can't wait for this guy to leave. And so that's not really good. I mean, you want to get known as a, somebody that can add, add something to the band. Mm-hmm. And not not like a, a star soloist in the band. Uh, that's what I work. I think one of the, the reasons that I uh, kept working, I don't have a lot of solo albums of my own. Right. And I'm not known as a soloist, a soloist, you know, drum solos and <clears throat> all that stuff. But I spent, I would say, 46 years playing for people. And, you know, out of that busboy job that I did, I really haven't done anything else. And I uh, went through some divorces and lost a few houses and declared bankruptcy one time. You know, it was tough, you know, mm -hmm. because of the divorce and all that. But, you know, uh, you, music and drums brought me back up again. Right. And on the down times, I only have like the drums and my percussion to say, OK, we got to get to work. Let's make people happy. And you actually, that's what, you know, Jeff Porcaro said to me one time, the first time actually at the Baked Potato when I moved to L.A. Uh, and he gave me some indirect advice. He goes, oh, so you're new. And he was drying his, his hair. From the, <laughs> he, was, he just finished playing with like, I think, Charisma or Los Lobotomies. And Carlos Vega was there. We hung out at the Baked Potato. And uh, he introduced me to Jeff Porcaro. He goes, well, man. In this town, meaning LA, it's like all people want around here is for you to do a groovy beat so they can lay their shit on top. That's all. And he <laughs> kept going, and I'm going, oh, okay. And so I analyzed that, and I'm telling you, that's more deeper than what it sounds. Because yeah. all people around here, meaning producers, arrangers, contractors, artists, people that hire you to pay you, what they want is for you, the drummer, to lay a groovy beat that feels good so they can lay their music on top and feel good. If you make right. an artist feel good, a composer, if you add to the song and make the song, not you, the song feel good, they'll call you back. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that through a process and then I spread myself out where I used to come to LA and I used to get, I used to do the Persian gigs the club gigs, the top 40 gigs, the, the the salsa gigs until four in the morning playing congas mm -hmm. and playing uh, Hollywood percussion toys with a, another band, playing drum set with another one, playing a show gig. There's like all like tuxedo gig. And then I used to go on the road. You know, it's almost like all the right. hats. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like an actor. Yeah. Do you do you think that there's some of that that's lost now? Not necessarily in terms of gigs, but people's willingness to do that gig. That is, we're I think we're in the minority because uh, what happens is, um, as I've seen, 
and this is not judgmental or accusatory or anything like that. It's just that I, I go to the schools to teach sometimes. Mm-hmm. Another side gig. <laughs> you know, hey, Wally, you're on the road. Yeah, I'm on the road with Chicago. Hey, when are you going to – can you teach for me uh, three days at MI? He goes, uh, yeah, I'm in town. I'll do it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, so I go over there and teach for three days for – it used to be Richie Garcia or Efrain Toro, whoever was there. Uh, and I used to, and then the, the vision that you want to learn how to play rock so you can get in a band and buy a Ferrari and become like Motley Crue. I mean, you know, that is a possibility. If that's right. what you Where want is to that? Do. Yeah, I want to, I'd like to sign up for that. I just, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It really, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the dream, um, but, you know, you can go for it and good luck. Don't stop playing the lottery uh, because, you know, it's it's uh, the chances are like like this. It's better. I, I had that dream, too. Right. We all did. But while I had that dream that one day I was going to be in a rock band and and do my things and play with big audience with our rock band just like the beatles or this and that i need to pay rent and i need to eat and when you're hungry man you got you need money so what do i do so i started playing with this guy and playing with this person and before that little gigs added up to big gigs and it was like paul anka ola falana out of college marilyn mccu ben Vereen. i moved to la tanya maria david lindley this light player with jackson brown uh, and and I I met him at a jazz gig, and then and then that led to meeting Jackson Brown, Bunny Ray uh, at, at Lindley's gig, mm-hmm. uh, and then we opened for Santana. Then you get so, the Santana gig. Yeah. So then the opening band, and now Santana saw me play. So basically, it's just one little gig. Don't say no to the little gigs. Just waiting for the big gig. Yeah. So, but it's years of little gigs years and years of little gigs oh one big gig oh it end back to the little gigs and i would say those little gigs playing bar mitzvahs and wedding i met some amazing musicians and the hanging out you know while they're cutting the cake or whatever you the the cards the connection let's get together let's let's mm-hmm. make music and then the next day you're not playing a wedding anymore you're making some amazing music with this guy that was at the wedding. Right. And then, hey, man, I heard about an audition. It's like Donna Summers auditioning, and I did. I mean, I was in L.A. like in the 1980s, percussion and percussion, drums, this style, that style, that style. And, you know, one thing let, let, leads to another. And when people say, man, you're so lucky that, well, the harder I work, the luckier I get. But, you know, right. it just didn't come. In 46 years, I just didn't work for like Santana, Steve Winwood, uh, <laughs> right. and all, all these big, big guys, you know, these big names in 46 years. There was a lot of other stuff that led to this. Sure. It, it makes me think of, of uh, you would mention Jeff Picaro. So you have, you know, like you and Jeff Picaro and, and Kurt Piscara and Tos Pano. So, so like all of you guys are, you know, were friends or are friends and, and, and came up in L.A. together. And it's interesting to me how from the outside, it's like, oh, all these guys all just 
all these guys who are in all these with working with all these big artists all know each other and it's like no 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 all these guys knew each other and Absolutely. came and and as their careers grew they started working with these bigger artists and sort of like supported each other and got, it wasn't just that like all of you guys were like hey we all play with big artists now we should all be friends you're absolutely right you know and actually you mentioned a few people so I remember when Greg Bissonette came from North Texas and he was in LA when I left to go to, to David Lindley in 1984 uh, they needed a drummer and I knew Greg because he had gone from Mayna Ferguson and doing so many gigs, but Greg's personality, the the like his uh, ethics, his work ethics was so great that mm -hmm. everybody loves Greg. So I said, man, Tanya, even though he's not Brazilian, but he plays great Brazilian music and he knows, and you know, he was at our house with John Pena, the bass player, and dissected the show that I was doing. Then I went to with David Lindley. And then from there, one thing led to the other, and before you know it, uh, he was with David Lee Roth. Yeah. From a Brazilian gig to David <laughs> Lee So, And then Briscara, the same thing. He was a student at MI when I actually used to teach uh, Substitute on Latin uh -huh. percussion thing. My first gig with Santana, uh, later on through the, in, in the years, uh, it was 1989, I arrive at the hotel in London, and I see him. And I'm going, hey, man, what are you doing here? He goes, man, I'm on the road with Belinda Carla, and, and I'm from the Go-Go's. And, mm -hmm. and I go, well, great. That was one of his first big gigs. So you see, it was the paying dues. Yeah. And we, I tell you, all drummers know each other, and all drummers, we know what it takes. So I, I remember talking to drummers before Santana, and I've then... I spoke to drummers after Santana. We all know each other. We all talk to each other. And that's what Robert Lamb says when he introduced me. He goes, Wally moved from percussion to drums. Then we have to find a percussionist. So I asked Wally, do you know anybody? Because drummers and percussions, they all know each other. He says, he says this on stage. <laughs> and we help each other. Joe Sample used to say the same thing. He goes, man, you guys have like drum circles drum conventions, drum meetings, drum get-together, drum, uh, drum hookups. And I go, yeah, I mean, we're, we're tied, Joe. And he goes, yeah. I don't have this for piano players. <laughs> or bass players. Or, well, because yeah. guitar players would think everyone's trying to steal their, their licks. So they would yeah, uh... <laughs> One or two guitars. Percussion can be, you know, as you know, percussion, we, we know how to play in a 60 percussion ensemble. Right. 60-piece right. percussion New Orleans streets, the Cuba streets, the Brazilian streets, the carnivals. Mm. You, we actually, it's a, I, I'm very, very honored to tell the truth right now, talking to you right now at my age after I've done so much uh, in, in this music business. And I'm, I really feel so honored to call myself a percussionist in a group of drummers and percussionists. Right. Because it's a, uh, it's one. We're our one tribe. Mm -hmm. It's not really a competition. Yeah, competitions. Uh, who wins first? Who wins second? Uh, we're all winners. We're all winners. I like and that. Those are just events. The friendships that are formed in those events, they they continue to last. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of friends that are like young kids that are coming up, uh, younger players than me by ten years and. 
and players that are older. I mean, that I admire, James Gatson. You just had him. Yeah. I mean, James Gatson. I, I recorded in my life of the baked potato. Uh, use me. Yeah. And that's James Gatson. So he that lives groove in, is. Yeah. He had like the, all the stuff that he always did with those like those six or you know he would take these like swung sort of sixteenth notes that couldn't really tell if they were straight or not. And he would have all, like all those grooves, and you're like, well, I, like every time I try to play along with something, you know, and that was like his, that was his thing. He said that he and uh, and Bill Withers used to fight about it all the time. That Bill Withers was like, "Are you gonna play sixteenth notes again?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, you know, that was like that was that's his thing, and just the the feel and the vibe." You know, it, those it, in in those days. Um, I, I had a long conversation one time with uh, uh, Roger Hawkins, and and uh, and, and he was uh, the drummer from Muscle Shoals, mm-hmm. uh, and and, uh, and he told me all those those records. You know, there were like really big um, tube mics, and he didn't play loud at all. So all the eighth, all the ghost notes were almost equal as the two and four. So instead of going ooh. Bah, bah. That's what sometimes you hear when the drummer's playing a lot of stuff. And basically, he was going. And it was more equal because you play softer. At certain point, they started with these gates on the drums that right. subtracted all the groove, you know, the juices of the of the <laughs> stu- you know, all those. Uh, Ghost notes, and then you hear boom, ah, boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, where, where, where I'm really playing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love those players because they play in an era that the two and four was not so loud from the ghost notes. Yeah. James Gatson, Ed Green, Jeff Percaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure if they, I, I would love to actually interview them. It goes like, Mr. Gatson, if they put some gates on your on your drums that only a certain amount, what would you say to that? <laughs> sometimes, I tell you, that's something that I'm still working on with the sound people. Yeah, you know, used to have it with Santana where they put gates, and and now I realize that because of the volume that a lot of drummers play, and they're not really have the experience of playing the room. So if you're playing in a stadium. And the singer is like way down there on stage, and the bass player is over there. And you know you can play really loud, but mm-hmm. if you actually now are gonna play, and the singer is right in front of the bass drum, and you got a piano player, like to your left, with an open piano with mics and all that, you gotta you know come down, muffle your drums, come down to thinner sticks or blast sticks or whatever. Otherwise, they're gonna put a big old plexiglass all around you. <laughs> yeah. Play all you play now, as loud as you want, because we got we we have control, you know. So my my thing today, I see plexiglass, plexiglass, plexiglass. I'm going why when all the classic concerts of every band that I remember that were unbelievable: Gino Vanelli, Steely Dan with Jeff Porcaro on drums, Blood Frontier, Chicago mm-hmm. with Danny Seraphin, 1974, Led Zeppelin. I mean, you know, we're still trying to imitate some of these sounds. For sure. They not, none of them had a plexiglass. No. So what were they doing that is different now when I see some great drummer and they put a plexiglass because 
you know, I mean, when they can actually go to thinner sticks. Uh, one time only, I was doing a Anne Margaret comeback, and I came into the second night, and without comforting with me, they had this plexiglass all over me. I play so soft that there was a bunch of complaints. I cannot hear the drums. I cannot. Can you play louder? I go, no. <laughs> I play so soft that they have to take the plexiglass you off. Can't take the plexiglass down. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, we're still grooving, but right. you know, you can actually muffle the drums more, play thinner sticks, or play with blast sticks. I use the the flares. Mm -hmm. So instead of going boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, it was like it was like take that plexiglass off. I can't hear the drums. You know, that's what you want, not yeah. the opposite. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So <laughs> there's um a buddy of mine. Do you know Brian Dunn? He plays for uh Hall Notes. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but uh, no, not by name. So he has plexiglass in front of his uh in front of his drums. And I asked him about it and I said we were at the show and I said I said, what, how do you like, you know, using that plexiglass? And he goes, Oh no, no. He goes that's for me because Daryl Hall's guitar, his his uh, monitor is so loud that it was blasting him out as the drummer. So he asked if they could put plexiglass up oh in God. front I've of him. In that case, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I said, "Are you serious?" He goes, "Yeah, that's for me, not for not for them." <laughs> no, you know, the, the problem that I have with plexiglass is that the visual. Yeah. There's a visual communication on stage, and in that gig with Anne Margaret, I remember she couldn't see me and the reflection, and you have to wipe the plexiglass. And I know in a lot of churches they use it, mm -hmm. uh, but you know then the drummers are extremely loud. When you see Roger Hawkins and you see, check out "Use Me" Bill Withers, James Gatson playing drums live with Bill Withers. Oh yeah. Now you, he needs a plexiglass when Bill Withers is with the guitar. Acoustic guitar. Acoustic guitar, yeah. A few feet away from him. See, that's why I tell everybody, like, you got to learn all these drummers and musicians. Get together, you know, USC, Berkeley School of Music. You know, I do a master class. There's like 10 drummers and, you know, your guys are here. So do you guys uh, get together and play together and like percussion drums or two drums? And No. It's like, you're here in the school and you never played together with each other and go like okay next time i do a master class oh everybody's got to do that for homework you gotta jam you gotta learn how to play the room you know one minute you're playing the baked potato for 50 people the next night you're in france in a stadium with like johnny holiday for like you know five thousand you know i mean it, it, the number doesn't matter the room matters mm -hmm. and the, the the other thing is you know the the sound guy you know so so the, I, it used to be where they used to put two overheads and a bass drum on the, on the drums. Or, or in the Cuban days, uh, all those percussion famous albums, there was no direct miking. It was the microphone was there in the middle of the studio and all these congas, percussion, timbales, and it sounds amazing. So, so the minute you put a microphone on one tom, the microphone on another tom, the microphone on the snare, that snare, those tom-toms have to sound great for that distance of a miking, not for from the microphone over there or from the ear over there. So if, if you have no microphones, I'll open up my drums and play loud. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because right. I have microphones. But the minute you have a microphone in front of those tom-toms, you got to make that tom-tom sound good. Like if you put your ear on that tom-tom right there, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's a really incredible concept that uh, I've been <laughs> restudying again when I see open drum set, like if there is not no microphones going to be in the drum set or there's going to be only two overheads or and the sound guy says like, oh, my God, that's ringing as hell. But you've got a microphone in the Tom Tom. <laughs> you can't. You know what I mean? Like I saw right. I saw Elvin Jones at the Modern Drummer Festival in 1995 and he uh-huh. came out and he sounded great. He had two overheads and a bass drum. No snare microphones, no tom-tom microphone, no nothing. They sounded great. The whole drum set like this. That's how you play. Now, if you have microphones all over the place, you got to work with the sound guy. Yeah. Because the sound guy now has to balance your drum set, and each tom-tom has to sound good depending on the microphone, so it gets more complicated. You cannot play like you're playing without microphones. Yeah. And that's the concept that I, I'm surprised that so many uh, drummers – don't get that, and then I, I play percussion with some drummers that are playing like that. That it, it's just like unbelievable that I'm going like this guy thinks he's in a stadium when he's full of microphones in a little room. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, or, you know, and then it's just so, so you either have to like let the microphone do the work, or exactly. or if you don't, or like take all the microphones out and you sort of, you can sort of dynamically like EQ you're playing to the microphones, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, if you're in a small room and I have some musicians around me, I'm, I'm here in my place and I'm going to set up a drum set and it's going to be an acoustic guitar player there and a, a vocalist with a microphone. Mm-hmm. How do you think I'm going to play? I have no microphones in my set and I'm still going to play soft. Right, right. You know what I'm saying, and I'm still my actually like Ringo. He put a a, a a sheet. That was a drum lesson. The Apple Building, last show of the Beatles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That picture. That picture taught me indirectly. I've never met Ringo. Taught me uh, a lesson. The Beatles were gathered all around, and they gave a concert on top of the Apple uh, Building, the record company that they mm-hmm. owe one one more concert to fulfill their contract. And there was oh, a did they? Sh- yeah, there was a sheet on top of the drums. You know, when you when you play and he played normal, he's not pounding really loud. Now, when you have really super loud guitar players and, you know, you're going to play loud, then you play loud. Now, they're going to put a plexiglass on a heavy metal band all around you. You know, that that's saying, I don't know, to me right now, it's just like I woke up one day and... It's an epidemic that I see all over the place. Like, where did this plexiglass came from? <laughs> yeah, and whoever is advertising the sales is really a good salesperson. It <laughs> yeah. has convinced everybody to put plexiglass around the drummer. Or maybe I'm the drummer s- are playing too loud. I'm going to start putting plexiglass up when I interview people. I'll start putting <laughs> it up. <laughs> but that's why I call somebody and he goes, like, why don't you put plexiglass, of, you know, like, this is, you're the singer. How do you like that? that plexiglass? Yeah, yeah, right in front of your face. Yeah. So that, that that's that's my beef that I'm trying to, like, find a cure, you know, a, a, or a solution to this, uh, to go back to, uh, wow, 
I, I've seen even hard rock bands, and I've played a lot of, you know, Jimmy Barnes in Australia and Johnny Holiday, uh, Steve Winwood, Santana was pretty loud. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he, he was. He used to put uh, his um, his uh, well, he was it was not loud for two hours, but he had some tunes that were extremely loud. He used to put mm -hmm. his mess boogie on the drum riser, <laughs> and that was loud. But you know, there were microphones on the drums and some tunes are played louder, but it was not like a, a, a kill. So, right. you know, it's just a, it's always a learning experience with uh, technologies and. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you know, taking the time to learn that stuff, taking the time to experiment, taking the time to understand sonically how things work, what a gate does to your sound, what, you know, and what you can get away with in front of, 30,000 people versus 30 people, you know, and, and all those sorts of things. Like it makes it, it, when you think about it in the conversation, you're like, yeah, of course that makes sense. But then when you go, when people sit down behind the kit, they may not do that thing, right? right? They may not, uh, they may know it, but they're, as soon as they start playing, it goes right out the window. And right. You know, there was one thing we were, we had mentioned, well, we talked about him a few times. We were talking about James Gadsden. Um, in in that video that you're talking about, uh, in it's actually in that show where they play that song uh, "Kissing My Love," and he has this groove. And if every time I watch that, I'm amazed at how much power he gets out of the snare with his left hand. And he never even he like he he hardly even lifts the the stick off the snare. It's laying. He's playing traditional grip, and he's laying. It's sitting on the snare, and right at the last section, he's just snapping. And just plays that backbeat, and there's so much power. It's it's amazing to watch. I, I'll link up to it in the show notes. But I don't know if you've ever watched that that song on that video. But it always blows me away. Like, what's see that? It. I gotta go back and see it now. You bring back in memory when I uh, was in New York one time in 1994, and you know the English bands that I work with, they're all fans of R&B, American, and blues. Right. And uh, so we uh, with traffic. Uh, Jim Capaldi and Steve Winwood, they said, you know, Maceo All-Stars are in the SOBs in New York City. So we went to see them and Maceo's brother, which was one of the, the first drummers of James Brown, even before Maceo, mm -hmm. was uh, Marvin, uh, yeah, Marvin, it was Maceo's brother, on drum set. And I have a video of him playing box drums. And it's the same thing with a suit. And when I saw him at SOBs, the guy doesn't move. Yeah. And we'll see him, him like profile. He was like smiling, really good posture. But the same thing as you're saying, the left hand was hardly moving, but it's the snap, the snap yeah. of the and four and the ghost notes, ghost notes, snap, ghost notes, snap. Mm -hmm. and it was, that's that two and four. <laughs> yeah. And man, it's a, uh, it was an experience. So I I play match grip now. You know, mm -hmm. I change. Actually, I took a Jason uh, Jim Shapin lesson when I was like in 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 high school, and I asked Jim, Jim, you know, I'm playing mallets and timpani and timbales and rock music, and then I only using this like less than fifty percent. I, I think I just want to play all match. Yeah. All. He goes, Yeah, you can do anything. You can do with the left. You can do with the right. And I said, well, I think I'm going to start doing that. And so uh, 
but you know the same thing you can do the same technique and snap with the right hand so mm-hmm. do you know why when you tune a drum you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum that's because your drum is flawed i hate to break it to you but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is the typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly so when you tighten down one lug it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side that's why you have to tune it diagonally but now with the new sonic clear edge from mapex that's a thing of the past the sonic clear edge allows the head to sit flush so it promotes ease of tuning increased shell resonance and optimal tonal clarity so you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Balance Drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine-tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the Forward Balance. These are front-weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the rebound balance. These are rear weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're going to get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to Promark.com. And there's been a lot of guys who have who've switched over from traditional to match just because, you know, one, it's not really a natural position to be sitting down and playing. And, and some people are having wrist issues and, and all sorts of stuff. So I've heard a lot of stories. I, I, obviously, you didn't switch because of wrist issues, but I've heard a lot of people, you know, have switched. Some notable people have switched from, from traditional to match. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it was I was a percussionist and mallets is not <laughs> right. <traditional. laughs> In Bales isn't. A lot of the taiko drums, uh, African drums, uh, you know, and on and on and on. So when I actually started going, well, man, you know, I have to practice in my left hand like this a lot. So might as well just keep up with this one because yeah. if this hand is going to play full time like this and this hand is like this sometimes and like this sometimes, like this sometimes. It's how much do I have to practice like this to be equal and then, you, you know what I'm saying? Traditional, it's yeah, yeah. Unbalance. It's me. almost so like you I, have to learn. You have to learn three things, right? You got to learn left hand. Like, you got to learn right hand, and then you got to learn left hand traditional. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that was my logic, and I said, okay. So uh, now, with that being said, there's a beautiful because because of the traditional grip, uh, certain art forms of drumming were formed because of this, like brushing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I actually go there, even though I hardly play traditional when I play brushes, I play both ways. And I, I love to actually use the sweep in the traditional, in the traditional way. Yeah. Plus it looks a yeah. lot cooler. <laughs> it just looks like you're playing, you know, just transporting yourself back to the era. Yeah. And yeah. So, I always think I'm like, if you, you know, if you, if you want to look like, you know what you're doing, just start playing traditional grip. People will believe you. <laughs> So what's your, you, you mentioned, you know, playing drums, playing percussion, obviously two different mindsets, two different approaches. How are you hearing things differently? Like for, you know, like Chicago, for instance, playing percussion versus like playing drum set behind 
whoever, Steve Winwood or, or someone like that? Well, you know, my concept of playing percussion and drums is like is, is I, I hear the sounds as ingredients, you know, like just to as an example. So spaghetti with meatballs, that's the groove that has to be cooked. Okay, so drums is the meatball, so we need pasta, we need uh, salt, we need tomato sauce, you know, mm. so like we, garlic and onion. So when you actually hear a groove, like say you're going to do a, say like a Oye Como Va Cha 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 groove, right? right? And the drum is going, okay, so you got that, and then there's this other ingredients that have to go there, like the cowbell, the congas, mm-hmm. you know, and the guido. If there is no percussion, now my drumming might my, my change because now I need to incorporate and create the illusion that those ingredients are there because nobody's playing guido. So now instead of, I'll do it in the hi-hat. Or, you know, I play instead of the cowbell, it'll be on the rim of the snare. Mm-hmm. Or incorporate percussion around the set, which is why I did that DVD uh, in 2004 global beats mm-hmm. uh, Hal Leonard to incorporate why not incorporate a tambourine some percussion into your drum set setup to to make your groove sound fatter uh, that's the way I think now the your question like for example in Chicago when Tris was playing drums and I was playing percussion it's because I'm a drum set player I want to make sure that I don't get in the way when I play percussion I just don't want to get in the way of fills or things that the drummer is playing. I want to like color right. the groove. So when I went to the drum chair, I wanted that also from the percussionist. So mm-hmm. you either get a person that can do that or a person that is open for suggestions like, no, nah, I don't think this is cool or this and that, which is why uh, my brother and I worked really well together because of that and then um, uh, Ray Islas is playing percussion right now Mm -hmm. I've been there six years on percussion and now I'm playing drums so I said like Ray on this one I think you need to stop here because there's a fill there he goes oh yeah okay yeah so you work together as a team right Uh, for me the transition was like it's the same road with a different car so I, I knew the road but I never driven the road on the drum set car right so I was driving on this percussion car, uh, looking to the drums and listening mm-hmm. to the drums. Now I have to do some of that. And then, you know, in uh, you approach it, you try, when I, every time I, I sit on a chair that is like either Santana or Steve Winwood, that is like guys that have been there for so many years. Right. There's such a massive body of work. I try to honor the drum sets, the drum set players that were there before me. So, you know, I meant it when I said it on Facebook. When I sit down on the Chicago, the band chair, it's uh, there's Danny Serafin that created all these records and all these hits. Mm-hmm. And there's this Tris that was there for 20 something years and even working with me. So, you know, I adapt, adapt. They're playing, you know, this is not a, a, a tribute band that is exactly every note by note, everything Chicago played on the 70s. 
Right, right, right. Strofin doesn't play like he was playing in the 70s. He might play these songs with his band, and he plays them different because it's 2019. And mm-hmm. so you try to, you do the songs, you honor the songs, and some of the classic fills I do that are like incredible fills that are like hook fills. Uh, but, you know, a you lot have of people, to do those, right? I don't. That's no? the thing. I don't, and sometimes uh, I actually have brought more Danny Seraphin's fills because I loved them growing up. You know, like, I grew up with that. Yeah. So, so uh, sometimes the the leaders in the band said, you know what, you don't have to do that. Do your thing, or simplify here, or simplify there. Uh, I I try to pay respect to the guys that were there before me. If they ask me to do something different, then I do something different. Right, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? You start Mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, And a lot of times, Santana wanted something different. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of hearing this song. Yeah, okay, it's the song we're doing, but now I'm gonna do it this way. Mm -hmm. I go there, you're working for, I'm not working for Facebook audience, I'm working for the leaders in the band. Yep. When you know you hear things like, "Well, Wally doesn't play this exactly like Danny Seraphin. the Russian band does, like Lenoid and France." Well, that's what they do. They actually do everything exactly like 1969 CTA right. 70. But that's not what my job is. That's not what they asked me to do. All right, They're, so, you're not a tribute band. You are the band. I mean, I'm the band, and the band yeah. has two two Hall of Fame songwriters that wrote a lot of the hits and Lee Lockney that wrote some of the other hits and they're like three members of Chicago and that's whatever they want, whatever makes them happy. That's what I'm going to do. Of course. Yep. So that's a, per- <laughs> what's that? No, that people forget that when you're, you know, like now Cindy Santana is with Carlos and uh, there's a drummer with Steve Winwood and Steve Winwood might go, Hey, let's do a, uh, uh, higher higher love uh, and I want to do it like this and the drummer just goes there and people go well that's not what John Robinson played on the original hit because well well, he's not working for uh, <laughs> you know you're doing a gig it's at yeah. the bottom line it's a gig yeah for sure do you and prefer a- uh, do you prefer percussion over playing kit or does it not matter to you well, it's two different things. Drum set, you know, you can do a lot of the songs on percussion like we do. If You Leave Me Now, I, I stepped up. And now we're doing If You Leave Me Now differently than the record. So it's just unplug and Ray plays percussion. Okay. So the song goes on without drums. Mm-hmm. And uh, another song, you know, it cannot, it might not have percussion or the, if the percussion is not there, I can still play drums. Uh, percussion and depending on what style of music and this style of music with rock and some pop and, and rhythm and blues and stuff like that, the percussion is almost like it just adds to the groove. It's almost like the meat and potatoes, but man, that potato without the butter and the little onions and the bacon bits and stuff like that, it's just, just meat and potatoes. (laughs) You know, I got to add the amount, the right amount of salt to the steak and the little trimmings and, you know, sometimes even a little partially 
or whatever, you know, and that's the percussion. Mm-hmm. And drums is just there sometimes just to go, and the percussion is there to go, and these things that are not meat and potato, that if you mm-hmm. actually take everything off of the track, it's like, you know, it's just, or a percussion conga pattern to complement the drum groove. Mm-hmm. You know, never it's yep. like, oh man, I this badass conga pattern, I'm going to do it. No, no, no. If it fits the drum set pattern, I'll do it. Right. Yep. You know, and if, it, if the whole thing sounds better and grooves more, I'll do it. And if not playing congas sounds better, I won't play congas. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, so if they if they said, "Hey, while well, you have two choice, you can play drums for Chicago or you can play percussion." Which one would you choose? Well, the band started out without a percussionist. Right. So the drum set is basically the original instrument of the right. band. CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, I think it was Jimmy Pankow and I think Danny that overdubbed some sections of percussion. Mm-hmm. And Laudio de Oliveira came out later and played, I think, until like 1978, something like that. And I saw that concert with Laudio de Oliveira. Hmm. And so uh, with percussion only, the band cannot do. Right. But with drum set only, the band can do. But with drum set and percussion, the band can do better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way, that's why there's percussion, because they prefer it that way. It adds. Mm-hmm, for sure. And we work together, and when we do a percussion drum solo, it's more fun than just playing with yourself. And that sounds bad, you know. But you know what I'm saying? It's just mm-hmm. like when you yeah. have an interaction with somebody, it's, uh, you know, we're in the era now of uh, loops and stuff. And yeah, I can do a drum solo with a bunch of loops going on in the speaker and stuff like that. But it's different when I'm playing off, off of Ray back and forth. And some nights it's like, wow, what was that? Yeah. Wow. Let's listen to that because I don't know what it was, but you know that's the magic of music to me. Well, it's like a conversation too. You know, it's like you can have a conversation with Siri on your phone if you want to, but it's (laughs) but it's not as fun as like you and I having a conversation. You know, and and being able to feed off each other, and and especially you know if you're even even if you're playing with other musicians, it doesn't have to be a percussion player, but you can just feed off of different people and you can hear something like you said, and oh, what was that? Let me jump on that thing for a minute or let me compliment what that person just did or or let me push this or pull this or, and you, I mean, you, I don't know. You can't do that with a loop. The loop's like, nope, here's where it is. It's right here. And we can't, yeah. we're not moving anywhere from this thing, you know? And you know, don't get me wrong. I love playing with loops and I love playing with clicks and, and different rhythms and, and music parts and I, I love, it's just different concepts, but like you said, that action-reaction, mm-hmm. action-reaction is great, you know, Yeah. and it's a lifetime of uh, learning because action-reaction, just like a relationship with your girlfriend or your wife, whatever, be careful what you open up your mouth and, <laughs> and speak, what reaction do you going to have? So right. sometimes the, the right action-reaction is magical Yeah. when yep. you get to that point. Yep, get it wrong and it could be bad, but get it right. And yes, right. exactly, it's, it's, including with music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so if people want to keep an eye on you, see what you're doing, where where you're going, where you're going to be playing, if they want to study with you in Cincinnati, they want to hire you, what's the best place to, to find you? 
Uh, WalfredoReyesJr.com. W-A-L-F-R-E-D-O-R-E-Y-E-S-J-R.com. WalfredoReyesJr.com. And I put there some videos that I've been doing, which is like uh, from the mix from the drummer chair. Uh, I put my GoPro and I get my my sound from my uh, my in ears that that I whatever sound is it that I want because mm-hmm. everybody has a different monitor mix. Yeah, you know, trumpet player might want more trumpet, the bass player might want more bass. So I want more drums because that way, talking about what we were talking earlier, if I don't hear myself, I'm gonna overpound. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I want to strike the drum and hear a beautiful sound, and if I I don't want to overplay or over hit. So if I hear myself and I love what I'm hearing and I'm playing relaxed, very important word, uh, you're playing relaxed, you're not stiffening up or tightening up mm-hmm. and playing tense, then it just things flow and the, the front house guy gets it from here and I get it from the monitor. So I'm actually feeding that mix into my GoPro videos and you can find them in and my website in uh, WalfredoReyesJr.com slash videos. Awesome. And, I'll link up to and, that in the – we'll link up to that in the show notes too. I may I may actually get you to send me some of the audio so then we can post it inside of the podcast too so people can listen to it at the end of the interview too. I'll send you some of the videos, audio and, and video. Perfect. Uh, the audio and video is really great. I mean it's kind of boring because you only see me, you know, uh, and and you see me play right. with this sound. Uh, and there's more now because I have a new drum set. Um, it's, I call it my Land and Sea drum set, which is a mixture of like water and it's a mapa burl wood. So you see, like if you're in the Keys or in the Bahamas, nice. you know, and it's that like that it. effect. And my other one was maple, and it was just great too. I mean, but I I'm actually just gonna post. I think maybe in a few weeks I'm gonna post some of those with my new drum set. Nice. Some new nice. songs. I like it. So we'll link up to that. There's an interesting point that that you had mentioned that we sort of said it in passing, but it's an interesting point and it should be remembered that it took me a long time to realize that if if I felt like my hands were hurting or I was overplaying or I couldn't keep up with volume, most of the time it was because I couldn't hear myself. Sad. Not not because the band was too loud or whatever. It could be my monitor mixed or it could be whatever was going on. But that's a really interesting point. And I think it's a very valuable lesson that if you're getting done gigs and your hands are hurting or, or even during the gig, you just feel like you can't play loud enough. It's because you can't hear yourself. That's what I found anyway. And you said that. You said oh, that, I, as well. that, that is absolutely true. I actually it was uh, David Garibaldi one time. I heard a story that David Garibaldi has a limit. And he's not going to like overplay to please somebody that is extremely loud or somebody that doesn't know, hey, David, I cannot hear you. Well, can you turn your in-ears on more? Oh, oh, oh wow. my God, there you are. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes like uh, we have to, uh, you know, as drummers and groove players, sometimes you have choices. So sometimes you're always educating people. And that's a mellow word I'm using. You know, so it's like sometimes you cannot sound cocky just because you know the info. Mm-hmm. Just because you know the info, it doesn't make you like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, turn, you know, like, like, you know, and then put the other person down. Uh, we as group players should should always be um, passing it forward 
in a nice way and trying to like help people, even our bad guy. And you have to work it out. Mm -hmm. You have to live together. You have to work together. So it's the success. I mean, it's easy to create a conflict and war. It's so difficult to maintain peace. So to maintain peace in your family, in your relationships with your parents, your friends, your loved one, and your band, uh, you have to have to have a, a way how to bring up something. Let's try this. Let's try that. And and uh, what what you just spoke right now, you have no idea. Uh, some people that they don't know that. So so they the you know I've had artists turn around and goes, come on man, bring it up. You're not rocking out. And I'm playing already loud, mm -hmm. but they don't hear me. It goes like, so you stop. It goes like, uh, hey, monitor, does he have any drums in his ears? He goes, no. Can you put some drums? Because he wants me to play louder, but he doesn't have in-ears, drums in the in-ears. He goes, well, he has to tell me. So then you have to go to the artist or to the person. Right. He goes, hey, uh, you know, I'm playing really loud. Can you hear me? And goes like, uh, no, I think you need to just like, you know, and go, but, you know, let's try, let's try something. Uh, try put some, some drums in your ear. And, and I think that'll work. You know, you have no idea sometimes that you're talking like elemental stuff, but it <laughs> yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, wow, really? And so, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you cannot just, uh, you have to always like uh, try to be um, an educator in a lot of different instances, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and you know what? And I love it when I learn something new It goes, really? It goes, are you kidding me? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And be humble about it. Yep. Well, it's just I no idea that existed. It's just, you know, I've just like what you said about not being able to hear yourself. And it reminded me like, Oh, it took me a long time, long time to learn that, but I've never talked about that on the podcast. You know, so I was like, "Oh, wait a minute. There's a there's a thing that maybe we should share with the audience. Let you know, let people know." And and I'm the same way you are. Learning something, you know, anytime anyone tells me anything, I'm happy to be wrong. You know, I'm happy for someone to say, "No, no, no. That's not actually, that's not the truth." Or here's how this this actually works. You know, to me, it's an eye opener. It's like, okay, let's file that away. And one more thing that I learned today. I love it. Yeah, and and you know, one of the things uh, actually like. Uh a plane that I found out playing with Chicago and Tris, actually, we went through it. Uh, when it's cold and it's dry, uh, my skin, it's almost like the weather report. So sometimes I have to put like tape. Uh, I forgot the brand of tape, but they, they sell it. It's like this beige tape that they sell in CVS that it really is great because, you know, sometimes the gloves, I, I use gloves if it is like really hot really sweaty and uh, my hands are cracked as mm -hmm. uh, the skin splits whether you're playing percussion playing drum set it's like you get those uh what do you call it like really fine cuts that yeah like open. paper cuts almost paper cuts oh my god they're really so I, i'm always looking at my hands i can put um hemp lotion or something really healing after the show Mm -hmm. but not before the show because the six will fly. Yeah. So my hands become like the weather report. <laughs> I to Las Vegas, you'll see me with more tape in my hands because they're, they're splitting. Right. And so uh, that matters also, the volume. If you're really playing super loud, super loud, uh, you're going to have, you know, you're basically just overplaying. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, have you ever, I'm not really into baseball, but the other day 
relearning. Uh, I was just talking to uh, actually some of the guys about baseball, and when you bat, uh, you know, you don't bat with the full force because otherwise you'll go like this and dig a, a hole in the ground. <laughs> so it's basically like that snap that you were talking about, the drummers of James Brown and and uh, James Gatson. Uh, you know, you, you have a batter that I've noticed, and I actually started, wow, I never really noticed that. But they hit this 90 miles uh, 90 miles an hour ball, and they do have the technique that they strike, but it's not like they don't go when they do a strike and they don't hit the ball. If they will be going all the way as much as they want it, they would just spin. Spin, right. Yeah, you know, it's a, so it's a, they're throw, you're essentially throwing your hands at the ball and rolling your wrist over when you hit it. Yeah, and, it's a snap that yep. has a limit. You know, and it's not, it's like drum set. You know, I'm not going to go on two and four with all my energy. Ah! Ah! Two and four, it's got to be a sound that you have to get out of the snare drum. And of course, every drum is different, you know, and each sound is so different. Even as one snare drum, if you want to muffle it, and actually you have a microphone like we were talking before, the big fat snare has really mm -hmm. cool rings and really cool product that you can actually put it on the drum set and the snare sounds <laughs> but if I have no microphone and it's like save yourselves it's just raw <laughs> blood you know hey I can't hear you it goes okay you're gonna hear me I have no tape no nothing it's just like the loudest snare and right. I has snares there's a snare drum I forgot what they call it uh, the DW makes that is like a the steel edge mm -hmm. on the snare drum. Uh, that snare is so loud that Robert Lamb prohibited Tris to use it on stage. <laughs> 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 because it's like, forget about plexiglass, it trespasses the barriers. Right. So, <laughs> one piece of info that I learned, I went like, man, I want to make sure I'm not going to bring one because I have one. But it's powerful. The other day I used it in a session and even the engineers going, holy cow. Huh. I mean, you have to turn the microphone down. Right. And so, right. so, yeah, so you have to know your gear. That's the point. For sure. What gear to use for the right music. And that sometimes really matters. Mm -hmm. It's really All important. All valuable stuff, for sure. For sure. Um, and I want to I want to thank you for sharing your years and years and years of experience, the things you've learned on the road and in sessions and dealing with other musicians and dealing with, you know, getting, getting hired as a hired gun or being in a band or doing wedding gigs or doing bar mitzvahs or whatever you did to, to, to further your career and then taking all that knowledge and then sharing it with us and, and taking the time to chat with me. I really, really appreciate it. I sincerely appreciate it and um, would love to have you back again anytime you'd like well thank you so much i'm a real fan of your uh your show and i appreciate that I'm on your instagram as you know yeah I, yep instagram is like my favorite out of facebook and twitter i hope i don't get in trouble by saying that but uh, <laughs> it is you know no it's mine just, too uh, it's user friendly and today you can get so much info out of shows like yours that it's just amazing what is, we're living in exciting times. We really are because we have so much access to information. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is uh, manage our time and 
the learning is up to us. That's it. That's it. The information is out there. It's what you do with it. That's the that's the key, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so very much. I do appreciate it. And I will link up to all the stuff that we talked about. I'll put like your Instagram and all that stuff on there. And then once the once this comes out, obviously, we'll be promoting it and tagging you and all that stuff. So uh, but again, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat. I'm glad we, we finally made this happen. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Wally. Take care. All right, so what you just listened to was Walfredo Reyes live with Carlos Santana in 1992. That song is Soul Sacrifice. I was digging through the crates a little bit, found that, 
and was like, man, I definitely need to put this in the episode. So I hope you dug that. Also, for show notes and everything that Wally and I talk about, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 492. Also, make sure you're signed up for the mailing list or you're following Drummers Resource on Instagram because we're doing a huge 500th episode giveaway, giving away tons of gear, and you want to make sure that you know when that's happening and how you can enter to win. So do that. And if you dig the podcast, leave a rating and review because that lets people know that this is the greatest podcast in the world. Not just drumming podcast, but it's definitely the greatest podcast in the world, I think. Anyway, until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Ciao.